Good morning, everyone. My friends, uh, we are ending our octave of Easter, but then we'll move into uh, the continuation of our Easter tide. And uh, my friends, our first reading uh, in Soul's second reading, Epistle, and then the Gospel. Normally it's Old Testament, New Testament, Gospel. And the reason for that is because we are in the octave. And uh, my friends, our first reading talks about the very first community, the very first community of Christians. And it tells us, gives us an example and tells us what they were like. They were of one mind, of one heart, and they shared the faith. They shared the experiences of life as disciples also. And it went on to say that it shared, they shared the possessions of, um, of each other. And uh, it gave us a, a good example of, of, of what to work towards as a community of believers. Our second reading gives the pinnings of the theological and Christological understanding uh, of all of the New Testament. And it goes on further to let us know what the Christian vocation is. The Christian vocation is to love, to love God with all our heart and with all our minds and with all our souls, to remain faithful to God, to remain committed to God. And then it says, uh, this is how you will show um, by being faithful and obeying his commandments. Remember what Jesus said. Remember Jesus is God, and he said, I give you a new commandment. You will love others as I have loved you. So we must love God, and in, at the same time, we must love each other. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> the cross. <laughs> uh, so uh, this tells us how we go about doing this. And uh, we are to love our neighbors. And in our gospel, Jesus bestows peace upon uh, those in the upper room. He also entrusts those apostles with the very mission. And it, the mission, uh, as we hear it in the Gospel of John today, is to forgive sins. The reason why this is because sin creates division. Sin separates us from God. Sin also separates us from each other. So he gives his apostles the power to remove it. Is that not why Jesus came? There was a fracture between us and the Father. So Jesus comes to heal that. The mission entrusted then to the churches to do the same uh, and to have that mercy and to have that love and to extend it. And uh, my friends, um, we hear this gospel reading uh, every second Sunday, this particular gospel. So next year you'll hear it. Five years from now you'll hear it on the second Sunday. Ten years from now you'll hear it on the second Sunday. Fifty years from now you will hear it. I will probably be in heaven, I pray. <laughs> because <laughs> Father's old. Um, but the reason why you hear the same reading on the second Sunday is because there's a strong message in this one for all of us. And um, my friends, leading up to Easter, I know uh, the media takes hold of people of faith, in particular Christians, um, and they put forth all kinds of things. Well, the numbers are down, and uh, blah, 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 and they're not faithful anymore, blah, 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 blah. But uh, now, uh, we can't just discount them. I listened and searched for the pieces that were probably realities in there. And I would agree that, yes, in general, uh, there is a crisis of faith in the United States of America. And... Um, Yes, the numbers of active participating Christian disciples uh, are not what they used to be, absolutely. 
and they certainly are not keeping in trends with the growth of the country. Okay, I, I can, I'll go with that. So I went to see what do the Catholic Christian commentators have to say. And they also sounded alarm, but something different. Um, they sounded the alarm uh, that there was certainly a lack of knowledge of the Christian faith and tradition. And because of this, the inability to transmit the faith to pass it on to the next generation. Okay, all right. We need to pass that on. And this becomes important. This become important because that's exactly what the apostles did. They spoke and transmitted the faith. They shared. There was no Bible then. There was the Torah, but there was no Bible. Remember, the Bible is not the what we call the Bible or the New Testament. The first recording of it, didn't or written down, doesn't come until about 80 A.D., 80 after, 80 years after. So how did they do it? By talking about it, with it by sharing it. And um, so today's gospel could be read as a, a gospel encouraging us to do the same, but also, because of Thomas, we must stay close to those who are weak in the faith. Not throw them away, not get angry at them, not discard them. Don't get frustrated with them. Stay with them for those who are weak or lukewarm. In this way, perhaps, then we can stall a little bit the falling away of Christians today. And perhaps maybe we don't enlarge the church by doing this, but Maybe we can prevent it from shrinking. We should realize, however, that the decline in faith is not actually peculiar to our own time and generation. Faith throughout the Western world has been on decline for a couple hundred years, actually. The decline did not begin for us Roman Catholics because of the Second Vatican Council, as some believe. That's no. Uh, the other thing I found was something about the the 1990s, I don't remember what was going on in the 1990s that people were having a particularly crisis of faith. Maybe in the 60s because they were doing, doing too much drugs and stuff, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, remember the, I read the books and history books, right? Uh, but I wasn't sure what was going on in the 90s. But um, the truth of the matter is when we go back further, commentators from the mid-19th century lamented about the lukewarmness of the Christians of their time and of the decline of the faithful. The gospel that we have for today has a suggestion for today's disciples in relation to those who are weak in the faith, especially of our own family members, of our friends, of our co-workers, in danger of becoming what I call baptized heathens. The gospel suggests that Thomas, who was handpicked by our Lord, as were all the, the other 11, became weak in his faith. And then he did something that I consider to be the worst possible thing you could do when that begins to happen. He left the community. He left his brother apostles. He left the other disciples. He sought loneliness rather than togetherness. Jesus three times says in the English translation, peace be with you. But 
the translation in the Greek comes from the Hebrew, which is shalom. Shalom certainly means peace, but it has a connotation that changes. It means, uh, it has this element of unity. So Jesus is there and he says, shalom, peace, and we are united, except for Thomas. <laughs> and I'll deal with him next week. <laughs> you know, you're right, I'm taking some liberty here. So they had come together and were together with each other. So when I, I wish we could use those words more, but we understand peace be with you. But I know you didn't understand that unity, peace that was in there from the word that Jesus would use. Thomas, go they were, they became the catalyst for his lack of faith. In this, he moved further and further away from Christ and from fellowship with the other disciples. He moved away from the contact that was necessary support stones, thinking of the cornerstone, the support stones, for his faith. My friends, this is a cautionary story for us. Be weary, be warned about being a lone wolf. Now, if I use the scripture, it's to be being running a sheep that went off by himself. Remember, Jesus had to go after that one. Don't do that. Or what we would call loner today. Don't try and be a loner here. Trying to live the faith on your own or in your own way is a problem. We should try to dissuade any fellow believers from becoming a Christian loner or a lone wolf, knowing what happened to Thomas. Our strength of the faith relies to some degree on the strength of the faith of the community that we belong to and our involvement in that community. And my friends, I know in this time of COVID, um, when, I, you know, when I think about when the beginning it says they were locked in a room, uh, that's what it's been like for the past year. People out of fear locked. I'm not saying you're not to be afraid. or I'm just saying people have been locked in their homes. The doors are locked and they keep people away. And people say, Father, I watch the Mass on TV. It's not the same. Exactly. It is not the same. It is different. But, so we can begin to really relate to this. Uh, but um, yes, the, the pandemic has caused this, but we need community. That's why Jesus left the church. We need to be together. Thomas had, um, it seems, become a loner, a lone wolf. Evident in the fact that he was not with the others when Jesus came to the house. The other apostles, it doesn't, it's not explicit in here, but those were his brothers. They were together for three years with Jesus. There is no way that those uh, other apostles did not go after Thomas and try to talk to him. They must have spent time speaking to him, supporting him, encouraging him, and trying to resurrect his faith again. The very things that you and I are called to do also. They likely had to endure what we ourselves have to endure in our time. Faith fights <laughs> with family. The person that sits across the table from you. The people who you work with, your friends. And what are you met with? Stubbornness, negativity, unreasonable expectations and demands. But they stayed with Thomas. 
we must stay with our brothers and sisters in the faith. And because of that, Thomas's incredulousness moved. In the order that we're given, it's a little bit off, but because uh, he says, I will not believe. And then that changed a little bit to, I will believe if, and in his case, he wanted to stick his finger in the hallmarks, the, the very hallmarks of the nails. I'm like, how nutty is that? <laughs> but that relatability of Thomas, we kind of relate with him. Well, I can do this and I can do that. But I thought, you want to put your hand in the very hole where the nail was? And yet Jesus encouraged him, put it in there. That's what it's going to take. And it was Thomas's wounds that gets healed in that moment. And then we find Thomas was present the next week with the apostles. It's important that we stay with those who are faltering in the faith in order to help them to remain connected. It is important that they stay connected to a community of believers, what we call a parish. My friends, the author of the letter of Hebrews is concerned with this very issue also in the scriptures about Christians drifting away from the faith. Um, even in that first period after Christ, this is what it said, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast, brothers, he writes, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some who do not. What it is stressing is the need for Christians to be active members of a faith community and to be present at the Eucharistic meal celebration. It's important for us. My friends, when Jesus shows up again, and I, I you know, my sense of humor, uh, the first thing he says to them is shalom. I'll tell you what, if you guys did that to me, that would not be the first thing I say. <laughs> I'd be like, ooh, you, you, you bad, bad people. <laughs> Look what you did, you left me alone. But Jesus doesn't. He says, peace be with you. Let us be together. And he knows lack of forgiveness separates. So he immediately, my friends, let us be together. Otherwise, um, uh, like in their time, back in that time, they will, those who grow lukewarm will weaken in the faith. This gospel has many things to take from it but it serves as a caution to us. The loner, the lone wolf Christian is at risk in any generation, and especially in our own, as we move through the centuries, and each epoch is different, and ours is unprecedented in its secularism, and it's just obsession with relativism. So we must be lovingly and intelligently supportive of those who are faltering in the faith, Love them. Support them. My friends, it is important that the parish be generally a community where we walk in holiness and where uh, we always find faithful people and faith-filled people striving for holiness. So let's try to make our parish a place of holiness and a strong faith. This is our best hope for achieving the fellowship characterized by that first Christian community we heard from the Acts of the Apostles this morning 
and which is illustrated by today's gospel account about Thomas. My friends, we need to do this to prevent uh, the lone wolves from even forming, but even if that happens, to call them back lovingly into the fold, as Jesus asked of us. And my friends, uh, the other reason why um, this reading comes forth is because of, it, because of that very relatability of Thomas. We can relate to him, and this poses a serious problem on one end of that. Uh, because um, on the one hand, Thomas has this self-inflated importance about him um, and this arrogance about him, uh, believing that his failure, his failure was so unique that not even God could forgive it. And that's a problem because it belittles God's love and mercy. It portrays God as someone who is just simply a little bit higher in nobility than us. Remember what I said? If you guys did this to me, I would be all cranky with you. God wasn't. And Thomas is, uh, we pick up by his words and what he's doing, he ran away from the other disciples. He left them. And part of that is, yes, he's suffering, mourning the loss of his friend, but he's also mourning the fact that he betrayed Jesus. He ran away. Peter did worse. Remember? It's recorded. But in this is the arrogance. Well, God couldn't possibly forgive me. Does that sound familiar to some of you? It better because I hear about it in the confessional all the time. God couldn't possibly forgive me. You know, and I'm on the other side thinking, oh, are you kidding? <laughs> what was that about? You see that it's the arrogance of that. There's no humility in that. It judges God in terms of human standards and expectations. And it's so unworthy uh, of what God deserves from us. Jesus died to forgive the sins of all people. All sins. And anyone who truly is sorry can return to God with full assurance of forgiveness. No matter how great the sin is, or no matter how great you think the sin is. The second thing that Thomas does, um, and I've kind of touched base on it, was this idea of he had to experience Jesus in a particular way. Remember, I will not believe until I can touch him. Furthermore, put my finger in the hole. Well, my friends, the Hebrews kind of did the same thing unrelentingly with God in, when the Exodus. And that was such a lack of faith. They demanded and demanded and demanded signs from God. And uh, Thomas refused to believe his brother apostles. You see the testimony. He refused it. This will become important because 40 days later, Jesus is going to ascend to his Father. He's going to go. We, you and I, do not get to see him that way, in the way that the apostles and those first disciples saw him. That's why in John's gospel, there is one beatitude. Blessed are they. 
who have not seen me, meaning that way, but have believed. He was talking about you. Know, he knew he was going to the Father. He knew that we are not going to be able to put our finger and grab him. He left the sacraments. He left the testimony. He knew this. And this becomes a problem because we are going to rely on the testimony of the original apostles and disciples. This is something that Thomas in that moment wouldn't do. Remember what he said? I won't believe you. This was a problem. And this is why this reading comes up. And every year, uh, the church uh, begs its ministers, please preach on everything. Put this forth so they can see and understand that we do not walk in the same error. Blessed are they who have not seen and have believed. My friends, God's love is poured out all the time. His mercy is available to all of us. He, he sent his son, and then um, we still don't get it. And he speaks about it over and over again. And on this second Sunday, also known as Divine Mercy Sunday, the son has to come, and he goes to a, a blessed nun. Would you tell my people about my love and my mercy? And that I forgive. They need to just come to me. So now we have the image, once again, of God's mercy and love bestowed through his Son. Why is it so difficult for the people of God to understand that they are loved and that forgiveness is given to them so they may draw close, closer to him? Huh? My friends, every time the priest elevates the Eucharistic host, those words of Thomas, particularly for Hispanics, we say, my Lord and my God. I lift the chalice, and you'll, if you go to Mass in Spanish, you'll hear them. My Lord and my God. Jesus left us the Eucharist. It's very tangible because he knows how we are. And he loves us. My friends, um, a communication came from the Archbishop uh, regarding my assignment. Um, so he has told me what my assignment is. My assignment is reassignment for six years here at St. Nicholas. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> so you're stuck with me for another six years. And the long homilies. <laughs> So my friends, and I say this with humility and sincerity of heart, in these past seven years have I have helped you to grow in your faith and closer to Christ and to the Father, then give him the glory and praise because I am only his slave and servant. But in these past six and a half, seven years, if I have disappointed you, or cause you to be angry with me, then forgive me and wish me peace. And then I will use the next six years to try and win over your heart for our Lord. Okay? Amen?